Welcome to Newsworthy with Norrisworthy. Get ready for some awesome. All right, friends, welcome back to the show. Today we have uh, joining us from beautiful Southern California, Max Stossel. Welcome to the show, man. Thanks for having me. Uh, now, this is kind of a, a an interesting conversation because sometimes I like to like dress up when I'm talking about and not pretend like I'm using the podcast to do my day job for me, but I can't even do that this time. Really, I'm I'm writing some sermons this fall or this uh, this January on the subject of technology, and I kept on finding myself. Um, coming into the organization that you work for, like keep running into the like time well spent stuff. Uh, a guy named Tristan Harris that you, you work with. And I'm not even like pretending like this isn't just to do my day job for me. <laughs> so thank you. How often do you find evangelical pastors calling you to write sermons for them? Does that happen often? Every day. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> a new experience for me. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay. So a little bit of your backstory, uh, in college, I know you studied psychology, right? Yeah, I studied psychology and economics. Um, I sort of lucked out timing-wise in that my, when I got a job in college, uh, I was working for a healthcare stuff that was helping people with diabetes, and they were pretty much like, hey, you're young, go figure out social media. <laughs> uh, and so I did, and I was doing social for their company, and they were having a lot of trouble making sales, and then all of a sudden I was gathering a whole lot of leads from Facebook and Twitter. And the CEO and CMO of that company, like, whoa, whoa, what is this? What are you doing? How are you doing that? And I thought to myself, ah, I can be good at something without having to go to school for it. This sounds <laughs> great. Um, and so I followed that road for a while. Um, I did social strategy for Budweiser. Um, this was like very early, you know, I helped Budweiser onto Facebook and Twitter. Hmm. And at that time, like, you know, Budweiser was initially like trying to put their press release up and nobody cared. Um, and so it was very easy at that time to just skyrocket engagement. And we gained there, we gained them something like 35,000% increases in engagement. And they were incredibly excited that the numbers on the graph were going up. Yeah. Um, and I essentially said, well, would this actually do anything for your business? Like, why, what, what's going on here? Are we selling, are we selling more beer? What's, how is this working? And they, I essentially got the answer, uh, of, no, look, the line's going up on the graph. Everything's <laughs> wonderful. Uh, and so I told that story to a guy named Gary Vaynerchuk, who is a social media guru of sorts. And he hired me on the, spots, uh, on the spot and uh, told me he wanted to mentor me. And so I worked on, with him for a year, did brands like Dove and uh, PepsiCo. But ultimately, like I was selling beer and soap, and that didn't feel fulfilling to me. Um, and so I, uh, I fell in love with the startup world at that time. I went on to, uh, I was launching a social media startup and I thought, okay, cool. That applies my skills well. And it was around that time that I, you know, I was designing notification structures to take people out of their world and bring them into mine. And at the time it just felt like, like, oh, this is good. I'm not making anybody do something they don't want to do. Like if someone's spending time on my app, it's because they want to be spending time on my app. So I'm just a better job and our investors were telling us that we need to keep people for two minutes or longer to have a valuable company so our goal we were designing notification structures we were designing our app auto playing videos so that people would stay a little bit longer in our experience um, and just everything was about keeping people for longer mm -hmm. and it was around then that I realized the whole industry that way um, and you know when we think of addiction to technology uh, we think of everybody having their heads phones 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, sure, like uh, that's, you know, someone, for example, if someone got out of prison from 30 years ago, they'd probably look around at the world and say, what the heck has happened? Yeah. Um, but that's far less what we're concerned about with time well spent than the literal um, people having their heads in their phones. It's actually what's keeping us there. Because the tactics that really work so well at grabbing and holding attention um, are often algorithmically generated are not there's not people sitting at facebook or google or youtube thinking ah this is exactly what that person wants to watch next but this is what we should their feed um it's from you know billions of data points from a whole combination of sources from our behaviors not our kind of higher selves Mm -hmm. but our often our lower selves our selves our behaviors whatever we instinctively will click on or will watch that we you know some of the most intelligent algorithms that have ever been created are using that information to keep us there for as long as possible. And a lot of what works is extreme ideas. Something I noticed with Budweiser was that Budweiser is the greatest beer. Budweiser is the king of beers. Does a whole lot better in this environment. It's a whole lot more reach than here's how Budweiser is made. Um, What you'd think would be a more interesting story. Mm -hmm. Um, And the other thing we learned was that putting ideas in front of people they already believed, like people who like Budweiser were likely to, you know, like pictures of beer on a Friday night, those do much better than any sort of new idea or expansion of an idea. Yeah. And so when you look at that happening at, you know, one thing for Budweiser, sort of whatever, but when you look at news organizations behaving the same way, when you look at all of us to some extent behaving in the same way of kind of having to slightly push our statements more and more to the extreme to be heard, and also to put ideas in front of people they already believe. Those are two incredibly dangerous tactics that are being used by this entire digital world to yeah. capture and hold our attention. And it's that's what the real consequence is. It's the erosion of these pillars of society, of our emotional being, of you know, of news and uh, and in some ways of politics. That gets you know, politics was already pretty messed up, but. In some ways, all of these things are starting to further deteriorate. It's poured gasoline on the fire of all of the most base instincts of human behavior. Um, and it's invisible. So that's why I think time well spent is so important to bring light to these issues. Yeah, so when you're working doing social for these companies, your job is yep. to get people to engage, to get them to stay on your site for two minutes because then you're probably going to make some money off that, that, that visitor. And so you're working, how do we keep them on? How do we say what they want to hear? How do we reinforce their thoughts and feelings that they already have so that we can get from them the money that we want? And you, and you talk about how that you have the notification structure. Some of us aren't familiar with what that language means. What is it? Sorry, notif- sure, I can, I can break that down. Yeah. Um, so, you know, when you, so if you have your notifications on for, say, Instagram, Facebook, are you an mm-hmm. Instagram or Facebook user? I am, yes. So, like, I don't know if you get the notification of someone has tagged a photo of you. I, I um, literally have all my notifications turned off. But, care, but pretend like I didn't. So, <laughs> so good for you. Um, that we recommend in terms of only not- turning, having all the notifications on from people and not machines. Um, but so this person has, uh, someone like your friend has shared a photo of you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is, you know, the language of that post is some is the type of thing that I would work on. How can I frame this in a way that is most likely to get somebody to come into my app? And then once they are into the, in that app, how can I design this app to keep them there for as long as possible? What are the little design 
changes that I can make that will keep people on average for longer. And so that example of auto-playing videos is one because after a video ends, uh, the next one automatically begins. You don't have to click something new to start. So you just kind of can, it's more easy to, it's easier to get sucked into that hole. But so this person has tagged a photo. If you think about that, you're not, we could show a little thumbnail of what that photo is. We could, tell, you know, but we, we want you to come into the app. We want you to come and, and have to see. And what, like, think about that mentally. This could be, uh, what if it's a bad photo? What if it's me doing something I'm not supposed to do? It's being shared yeah. to everybody on the internet. What mm-hmm. a, what an engaging tactic that is. And, you know, similarly, think of, okay, a whole bunch of people liked this photo. Which of our, which of those likes should we show? How should we batch them together? Like, how many of them should we show at a time? Um, which of your friends have you most engaged with? So you'd probably be most likely to come into our app if you saw that, you know, some, for some people, if you saw that one of your really close friends liked your phone, you might be more likely to come into my app. But yep. for other people, and we can measure this, for people who, you know, it might be a bigger incentive for you to come in if someone who doesn't usually like your photos likes your photos. Or if, you know, women like your photos versus men like your photos. So making all, all of these decisions are happening, um, not at random. They're happening because it is our job to get you to come in and spend as much time as possible in these apps because you are if you're not paying for an app you are not the customer you are the product your time is being sold to advertisers hmm it, hold on say so that if you're not paying for the app then you're I'm, not the customer huh so you're the product um, you don't pay for facebook you don't pay for instagram coca-cola pays for facebook and instagram um, and so your eyeballs are being sold you know sold Wow. Yeah. And so this is the language of getting out of my world into your world. You're trying to get me to do what you want to do. Yeah. And that, this is what was hard as a designer, because when you're building it, and you know, the people at these companies are not evil by any means. Um, it's like, you're not thinking about it as I'm making people do something they don't want to do. Um, this, like I'm, I, you sort of think that you're providing a service that you're, oh, people, mm-hmm. people are spending an hour a day on my app. They love it. Um, but it was only really taking a step back that I noticed that you know, I was creating these little time blocks in people's lives that they wouldn't have had otherwise. If I hadn't sent that notification, if I hadn't created this system of, you know, of events, um, they would be doing something else. Um, and it's, it's this tricky thing because it's, we sort of, like in the tech industry, we sort of make you want to, you know, mm-hmm. it's like you wouldn't have wanted to, but now we make you but want you to, so it. everything's okay. So it's, yeah. It's a very sort of confusing internal process in our minds that is happening. And I yeah. think that's why some of this is so hard to understand and talk about. There's, there's a quote from Tristan Harris who mm-hmm. said that we often think it's like my responsibility. I need to stop, get off my phone. I need to be the one who has the willpower to not look at this or not click on that. And the line is, but we refuse to be aware that there are a thousand people on the other side of the screen whose job it is, is to get me to lose my responsibility. And like we're often naive to the fact that there's so much money, there's so many people's livelihood is based on their ability to get me to do something that my better intentions would not want me to do. Yeah, um, and you know Tristan says it best, <laughs> but it's it's true. There are a thousand people, a thousand engineers, and it is their job to do some of these things, like I was describing. Uh, some other examples, uh, I like are that you know when you get some of those notifications on Instagram, for example, they'll bash them together. They won't, you know, you actually have got, people liked the photos, whether it's minutes or seconds or hours ago, but we'll send them to you in one burst based on whatever is best for you, subject A, 
42315 that is most likely to make you come back into the app according to our data. Um, mm. So it's like a million decisions like that being made all the time that are very good at persuading and manipulating our attention. And again, not in an evil way, <laughs> um, but just because, and often it is an algorithm, it is the system itself learning how to do better. Okay, when you're saying algorithm... Oh yeah, sorry, I should break what that is, down. What does that mean for, for us laity, like algorithm? So Facebook is a good way of, of explaining this. So when you go on Facebook, you, you, know, you go into your news feed, see a bunch of different posts. How did Facebook decide which of those posts to serve to you, right? There's mm-hmm. a whole lot of posts on Facebook. I don't know if it's millions or billions, but lots. Um, and how do they decide what is best for you? And so that's also not a person that is sitting there, and it's not everything. A lot of people think they're seeing everything their friends are sharing. Very much not the case. Facebook is deciding. The Facebook algorithm, so an algorithm is essentially like a series of calculations that a machine does, um, not a person does, um, that ends up making a, um, giving an output. Uh, and that output, in this case, is what, what content appears in your feed. Um, so, like, let's say you like a lot of food photos. The algorithm will recognize that and start to serve you more food photos. Let's say you, uh, you have engage with certain more than other friends. Those friends, the algorithm will recognize. It's, calcul- it's watching everything you've ever liked, everything you've ever clicked on, everything you've ever shared, commented on, posted, mm-hmm. how long you've scrolled on certain things. <coughs> Excuse me. Oof, thought another one was coming. <laughs> um, and, uh, and so, you know, all of those calculations go into this system. And then that system, this algorithm, sort of decides, and it decides as a strange word because it's a machine, it calculates that this piece of content, this post, is the right one to serve you next. Mm-hmm. Um, does that make sense? Oh, yeah, 100% makes sense. Uh, one of the things that, so I think Sean Parker, who was one of the, like, First president CEO of Facebook came out and in an interview maybe two months, two or three months ago talked about how they abused some of the algorithm algorithms that they had created so that they could get what is it, consumer bubbles where people were all alike in what they thought and they believed and people like that more and so they're gonna show up more and so they can sell more product to them. And as a pastor, one of my big concerns about social media is the way that it creates silos of people where you have people who just have these pockets of, Oh, we're all left. We're all right. And we don't communicate with each other unless we're yelling at each other. And it creates like my job as a pastor is like, I I love that the church I'm a part of is politically diverse people on the right, people on the left and they they're church together. And I think that's a beautiful thing of what religious communities can and should do. But the problem is social media is working against that where it's trying to get people to just, talk to people who are like them. And I think that causes the kind of cancerous discourse that often we find, especially today in our political discourse. So, uh, yeah, so filter bubbles is what we call that in the tech world. Um, filter bubbles, okay. They absolutely, you know, it's, it's absolutely the case. And it's actually, it's a step further, it's a step worse because you don't just see, uh, you don't just see people of your own thoughts and opinions. You also see how, like the most evil and horrible of things you disagree with. How's that? So, I mean, because those things are enraging and they make you so mad. Um, and anger is one emotion that works very well to keep us liking yep. and sharing and creating yep. more content. And so this is, so it's a part of that that system as well. So often when we are seeing the other side online, 
we're seeing the most frustrating and infuriating versions of the other side. We just have to get into that comment thread. We have to type our words into this little box and watch them type their words into this little box as if that's a good way yep. to act, resolve any sort of conflict or argument ever. Um, you know, I love what you say about people of different beliefs and different political backgrounds coming together in church because, sorry, there's like a garbage truck to something loud. That's You're that. right, man. Um, but, you know, that like in person is a much better way of resolving of conflicts or learning how to tolerate each other. And that's yeah. part of freedom, right? It's being able to tolerate people with different beliefs and, and mm-hmm. respect that and have your differences. Um, but so, yeah, you know, the, these algorithms that one very effective means of creating engagement and increasing time on spite, a site is giving people, you know, showing people things that they agree with. I don't know. I didn't hear Sean Parker say that quote that you mentioned, but I, I think it's, I think it's correct for the most part. Um, and so uh, ideas that people already agree with or the outraging other side and look how stupid they are. Aren't we so, aren't we so right? Isn't it so hilarious how dumb and evil those yeah. other people are? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that stuff works effectively at kind of keeping people sharing. And I do think it's done a number on our, you know, on pol- the polarization in this country and in the world. Yeah. Um, there was one, uh, you know, like, when we think about what technology could be, like it would be so wonderful if in the category of conflict resolution, if somebody were, when they come into, call it Facebook, call it a whatever experience, if the objective is I'm looking to like, you know, understand or better get to know people from the other side, if they were constantly testing all of these possibilities of, well, if these two people get together and they build a, you know, build a bar and have a drink together, they're mm-hmm. far more likely to actually understand each other and it creates more empathy and compassion um yep. that like that's what we kind of want as people right like that's what i think most people would say for most issues not all maybe but like that we would like some sort of collective understanding and empathy mm-hmm. um but not the way the system is designed the system right now doesn't really care it just it's it's trying to get it's trying to extract as much time as possible. That is its goal. And it's not people behind, you know, the people working at Facebook couldn't really explain to you how a specific post gets in your feed. There's too many calculations now. It's too complicated. The machine has taken over. Mm-hmm. Um, and that machine doesn't care right now. And what time well spent is really about is creating a world where technology actually really embodies a lot of those human values and is really being thoughtful and minimalistic in terms of both on and off screen possibilities, not just in the phone all the time, but what can we empower in real life? Uh, and that's the, that's the world that we want to live in. And that's the world that I think it's really essential right now to create in large, you know, one big reason for that is exactly what you describe of this polarization that we're seeing. Yeah. Okay. So you're, um, you put a, uh, poetry video out, um, dancing panda. Is that the name of the, <laughs> the- and is dancing. Okay, that's close to that. Um, yeah. There, there's a line there, but y- you can do better. Like the engineers, we need you to be better. And it seems that from like my position is to say, hey, everyone be aware that this has an effect on your soul. Like this changes your psyche, the way you experience the world, the way you understand each other. Like be, be aware of that. And so I feel like my position and my platform is to let people be aware like this impacts you. And y'all's, in your organization, Time Well Spent, y'all are trying to 
create a world that realigns technology with humanity's best interest? Is that by like speaking to the designers? Like what, what is the way for that to happen? Yeah. So we're taking a a multi tiered approach, right? That's definitely one, uh, that's one angle of it is that we're trying to inspire better design. Mm -hmm. Um, we're trying to, we've, this has been an interesting experiment, this internet thing so far. (laughs) Um, and we're trying to say, Hey, okay, this is where we've come with the way the internet is designed now. Um, but we want part of what we're doing this year is creating a video series called a beautiful world that shows Mm -hmm. what, what the world could look like if technology really had some of these you know, if we're really baking in human values and really being more thoughtful with how we're designing. And so we do. We want to inspire the people at Facebook, at Google, at Samsung, at Microsoft, at these, at Apple, at these companies who have a disproportionate amount of power over these tools that, as Tristan says, you know, shape the thoughts, emotions, and ultimately actions of two billion people every day. Yeah. Um, that that's really, that's, we have to take that grave responsibility seriously. Um, and so inspiring better design is one angle of that. Uh, another angle is just simply like, you know, some of what you're doing here is awareness. Uh, it's an invisible problem in a lot of ways and it's hard to, to wrap our head around and really take it's, it's challenging. It's challenging to truly get what's going on. Um, and so we, we want to educate consumers so that we can also demand more from our technology and not be okay with technology that is using us. Yeah. Um, yeah, go it's, ahead. It seems like most users, most of us, myself included, have a great deal of unawareness to what's actually happening and the way that it shapes and affects us. And we're unaware of it, so we don't know what to ask for. We don't know what to demand and say, hey, we, we want this to look better. I think you use this in one of your interviews at some point where we've changed the grocery food world. Like we've demanded different things and therefore stores look different because of that. And was the comparison to say, okay, if we want now more organic food in grocery stores, we're going to get that in a few years because we're the consumer and we have the buying power and we'll change the way things work on that end. Are are you saying we can do that in in the tech world as well, that we can demand a better world? Yeah, um, I think we must. Um, And some of this require, and it's complicated because some of this requires moving away from advertising models. Um, Because as long as advertising is the primary business model of these industries, then ultimately the the tech designer's uh, money is related to your time. Those those goals aren't aligned, right? Your goal is not to give them as time as possible. You have other goals in life, Um, and so but you know we may like and scary stuff, but we may need to actually pay services that bring us value because the cost of not paying is so high. And of course, there are challenges there with inequality and what about people who can't afford it and well, yeah. but, you know if but if technology is truly serving our needs um and like then i see the, i see, would see no better way to spend my charitable donations than by helping people have access to this service right now i don't want to pay for anybody to have facebook or youtube <laughs> or these like yeah. not as they exist like what that's that just feels crazy but thinking about products that are truly caring about humanity where facebook's goal is truly to help you not feel lonely where you know we're thinking about like what is the human need and having tech really be working to solve these human needs um that is a world that i would be willing to pay for and willing to help others pay for as well that i, I that's a fascinating conclusion i've heard that um 
the ability for like premium cable or like streaming TV shows um, that they have ability to tell like edgier stories. And a lot of times people are thinking they're better stories than what you're going to find on like ABC or NBC is mm-hmm. because they're not as connected to their advertisers um, whims. Like they're, they're not trying to get Dove or whoever to endorse their TV show because they get their money directly from consumer. And so they can tell more authentic or more transparent stories because of that. Um, to, to think that our our tech could be more honest and more truthful to us if we just give them money so that they're not having to do the same thing. It makes a whole lot of sense to me. I don't want to pay for it, but I, can, <laughs> yeah. I, I completely get it though. I mean, it makes sense. Right. And also, and I don't think in, I, I believe it wouldn't be so like so expensive. I mean, for, it, the data for a while was like, I don't know what, if this is updated or not, but Facebook was making something like $16 a year on each consumer. Um, yeah you know it's yes it's like we and we hate paying and this is like sort of the funny piece of all of this but the co- you know the cost of not paying is this world that we've that we've come to and a lot of these really eroding the fabric of of society in a lot of ways mm-hmm. um and you know we, we there we don't have that much time but there's the whole i won't go into the whole <laughs> that whole other side of it um but there's there's just really a lot that this is doing this this has obviously had a huge impact on as you say on our soul on our minds on who we are mm-hmm. um and you know two billion people um and so we need to think really long and hard about if this is the world we want to live in and hopefully this beautiful world project will help to inspire what that alternative could be because it's very hard for people to imagine it's very hard for people to reject something that exists without knowing what an alternative could be and that's on us right now yeah, I, I definitely agree. And so you've got people from um, various high positions in the tech world who are connected to this organization, people who used to work with Google, or I think you have the president of Lyft who's behind this, and you have mm-hmm. uh, other different like well-connected people um, in the tech industry. So you have people, insiders, who are working on this organization, but what has been the overall response from the larger tech world as... In some ways, you're you're pulling back the the blanket and like revealing some of the secrets that maybe not everyone wants out there. Um, so it's been a shift more recently. Uh, initially, there was a good amount of combination of eye rolling and inertia, um, mm-hmm. and at, but like more recently, I think especially with all the press and former employees speaking out, um, like Sean Parker and I might be saying his name wrong, but Chamath, I think, who used to run growth at Facebook. Uh, people, you know, there, and there's been all, you know, for, throughout the history of the organization, there's been a lot of employees that would have reached out to us and been like, yes, I've been feeling this from the inside too. And I don't know what to do about it. And it's, it's very hard to change a really big sit. And we run into more, and especially now we run into more inertia than we do doubt. Mm-hmm. Um, people are, you know, even within the tech industry, people and the, the, the counter argument in the tech industry is like, well, but we're doing more good than harm. Um, and, Right now, I, I don't know if I, if I don't think I agree with that. Um, and I think it's, I think the harms are harder to visibly see and they're at scale and they're happening to lots of people in different parts of the world and they're not one cohesive thing. And so it's hard to point to what they are, but, mm-hmm. um, I think we need to get, need to get back to the initial ideas of what, of what tech is about, which is solving, solving problems for people and mm-hmm. not having people solve problems for tech. Yeah, that's true. Now, the irony has not been lost on me that we are having this conversation about some of the evils of technology through 
a podcast, um, <laughs> which is just a little bit ironic. But I'm not. Sure. I'm, one of the concerns that, that I have as someone from you know, the spirit, spirituality sector, if I can call it that, is what technology, especially screen-based technology, has perpetuated is a more hurried and distracted life, and people have lost the ability to sit in silence. Like the, I think the average attention span, I think this is from Microsoft Canada, in like the last eight or nine years went from like 12 or 13 seconds down to eight seconds. Mm-hmm. And, and I see this as someone who does a monologue every week <laughs> where people have lost the ability to just sit and listen. Are people on their phones? Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, for sure. And they pretend like it's um, like they're looking at their Bible app or whatever, but we all know they're not. Um, oh, God. Bible app. Yeah, yeah. That's what uh, they say it is. I think they have it on there just so they don't feel guilty that they're on their phone. But whatever. I, right. I'm not judging them. Um but I, I, I think it, it affects our ability to be present, to, to, to sit still. And I think the anxiety that social media has created is a sense that I always have to be on, I always have to be checking, and we can't step away from it. Um, okay, we talked about notifications earlier. Like your, your job with the notifications, I'm going to try to get you back into my world. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and yeah, and so you're touching, and you're touching on some of the stuff that's harder to explain, but very much there too, which is that anxiety, that FOMO, um, that yeah. fear of missing out, the fear, like the if I'm not checking this, I'm going to miss something important, and also just even yeah, I, I, the moment sitting in silence too, even in a moment of discomfort, of like in a social situation, uh, it used to be, and not like oh, good old days, and technology mm-hmm. can provide a lot of good, and like as a really powerful tool, time well spent is not a. We need to disconnect and to shut it all down. That's not what we're about. It's technology is this incredibly powerful tool that should be used to enhance humanity. Um, and but like right now, it's so easy in a moment of anxiety, a moment like just a moment, just like in a, having a feeling of discomfort to just reach for the comfort of the phone to scroll through some sort of social media or to text yep. a friend who's not there. It's it's really hard to be present with this technology because there's so much else there's so much else that we could that we could reach for um Mm. and some discomfort actually yields yields growth it's never been easier to escape ourselves right yeah um and that is yeah it's it's a symptom of this for sure um and that like you know i'm trying to think of what you can tell you know your what you can tell your congregation that they can they can really do about this and actually i mean thing that uh that i like that a friend said to me once is that he tries to to treat his phone like a loaded gun um, and like, you know, as he's reaching for it, like thinking like, do I really need to pull this out right now? Or am I just doing this because it's like, it's an easy unconscious, like sort of fix because I wouldn't want to just pull out my gun because it's an instinct. I would want to be really sure that this is what I want to reach for and do. Yeah. Um, yeah, go ahead. There's an app that, um, was referenced in a book that I think his name's Adam Alter wrote a book called, um, Addicted. And mm-hmm. he references this app of, it's called Moments, where it just lets you know how much you're using your phone, when you're using it, what apps you're using the most. Yep. And just having something that lets you know when you're looking at your phone, like what cycles, what seasons, what, what parts of your day you're most likely to grab your phone, I think that should be very informative of your, your own wellness as a person. Because if you find yourself, hey, I was really down on Tuesday, you go and you look back and like, wow. I was on my phone for three hours on Tuesday. There's a correlation there. And I, I don't know if people are always able to put those two things together, that the phone, 
Yeah, um, it's hard. To, it's like sort of takes a meta analysis of ourselves, right? Like to look at that way. Yeah. And then, so, moments a good app. I do recommend looking at that and taking a look at your screen time way. Do you, do you have One others? Where, um, it's always funny for like apps to be <laughs> to be the solution <laughs> too. Yeah. Um, so, there at timewellspent.io, there's a take control section that has some really good tips about mm-hmm. sort of bettering your relationship with technology mm-hmm. um, and sort of counteracting some of these tactics that are used to. Uh, to persuade us mm-hmm. um, and but ultimately we call these band-aids because what really needs to happen is we need to we need to like Tristan says there are a thousand engineers on the other side of the phone whose job it is to try to break down that self-control um, and so we need to fix that problem so that it's not constantly a battle and so it can be more of a dance but hmm. uh, but there are tactics there um, do you that I highly recommend uh, one of the ones y'all recommend is grayscale yep. which I, I I don't know, when I first tried that a couple months ago, and I, I've got three daughters, and my, my daughters were like, Dad, what is wrong with your phone? It looks so <laughs> dumb. Like, it's so bad. But That's it takes, the point. <laughs> yeah, but it takes out all the color. What, do you, can you explain some of the um, uh, so, power of the colors? Absolutely. So, I mean, so, like, these red dots, right? Um, and we talk about this as the phone being a slot machine. Yep. Um, slot machines are, you know, they make more money than theme parks, baseball, and movies in America combined, and you play with a penny. How is that possible? Um, and it's because it's one of the most addictive mechanisms called variable rewards, which is that you pull this lever, and then sometimes you get a reward, and sometimes you don't. It's a little delay, and sometimes you get a reward, and sometimes you don't. And a lot of our phone operates like a slot machine. Every time we're tapping one of these red notifications, and these big red engaging, big red flashing buttons on the slot machine, we're pushing it, and then we're saying, ooh, what am I going to get? And sometimes that notification leads to something really exciting, and sometimes... It doesn't, and that's the sort of slot machine process. Uh, and so when those, when those red dots are just sort of gray, they just kind of, they blend in, they don't stand out. It's hard, it's just, it, it's kind of, your daughter's reaction is, like, is sort of the one that you want to create in yourself. That, in that, so when you're going into your phone, you're going in because you want to go into your phone. You're not just sort of unconsciously opening it, seeing a red dot, tapping in, seeing, you know, that's, that really wasn't, you didn't really decide that. Your phone was like kind of flashing at you. Hey, look, I've got stuff, and you you passively fell into a hole versus yep. versus actively making a choice. And that's what a lot of this is about: is making sure that when we're using our phones, we're doing it because it's our conscious decision to do so, and not unconscious. Have you have you ever opened up your phone, scrolled through your apps, scrolled back through your apps, and then closed your phone? Like with just look at them and and not even just like turn it like. Turn it on, yeah, and then just like scroll through the pages, scroll back through the pages, and then turn off your phone. Has that ever happened to you? I, I would like to say yes. I don't think so. <laughs> oh, no, it's a, I'm glad it hasn't. <laughs> um, but it's something that I, when I ask that question, a lot of people, listeners, I'm sure, will be like, "Wow, I have done that." And if you think about that process, it's just it's hilarious. We're not. What are we doing? We're opening up. We're checking our apps to see if they're still there. Yeah, yeah. And then yeah. we close our phone. Um, yeah. And. It's just we do oh, okay. I get what you're saying now. Yeah, yeah. I get it. No, no, no. I'm not. I'm not too good for that. Yeah, I've definitely. Uh, I'll check a couple social media sites that I'm on. See what's going on there. Check my email. Eh, I'll put it back. Put it down. Pick it back up later. And do the same so, thing. Oh, so, yeah. uh, so I think you probably have a healthier relationship with it than I do. What I'm actually describing is just opening the phone, just scrolling through your pages of apps, not opening, <laughs> and then scrolling back and then closing. <laughs> okay. Well. Um, 
Okay, yeah, fair enough. Know, good for you. Good for you <laughs> for not doing it. Um, I think some of your listen, listeners might relate. <laughs> okay, well, f- forgive me. I'm I don't I'm not that good. But uh, yeah, <laughs> sorry, sorry. I, I meant to go with you on that one. But I, no, it's th- all good. Your language of passive versus active, like that's mm-hmm. the when you pull out a gun. You're maybe a bad metaphor, but like, don't be passive. Like, know what you're going to do. If you're going to go hunting, then you bring a gun. Um, I really want to get away from the gun metaphor, but we already started with it. Um, <laughs> many times we're passive, and that means our our technology is using us. Yeah. And I think let's be active. Let's be aware of what we want. Let's get out of it what we want, but let's not let it run our lives. And I don't know if we always are able to do that. So you, you've got the section, uh, turn off notifications, go to grayscale. Um, keep your apps at a distance and then keep the like non at a distance, which honestly for mm-hmm. me has been the least least helpful of the bunch. But then all, that fourth one, the uh, keeping, but like getting a physical alarm or using an old school yep. alarm clock that yep. isn't your phone um, ha- is a really helpful one. That to be honest, I struggle sometimes to keep myself disciplined enough to do. But think about that. The first, so like what happens? You wake up in the morning, you your phone goes off. Your phone is your alarm, right? So you hit OK, and then what you see, all of the things you sort of missed from the night before, you're behind, right? Yep. You're immediately behind on your day. You're swiping. You have a new message on your dating app. You have six new emails, and you're like, you mm-hmm. didn't, you're not being intentional about your day. Your phone has scheduled these other things into your life. The first thoughts you have in the morning are being scheduled by this thing. Um, mm-hmm. Having a physical alarm clock allows you to wake up. Think your own thoughts <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and, you know, kind of go about maybe, you know, do whatever you might like to do in the morning, then check your phone. And this is this is some of the subtle thing that you were touching on before is that, well, like, what if there's an emergency? What if that, like, what if I really need to, like, what if that one thing comes in that I really need to see? What if it happens? Um, and I sort of just, I ask you to think to yourself, like, what is it? Like, what is it that truly couldn't wait 20 minutes? And you can like, you know, you can have your phone on, you know, do not disturb in the other room where if people are calling, if it rings, you can answer it. Um, but like, what is it? What is the message that you really couldn't wait 20 minutes to, to respond to? Yeah. And I think you really start to kind of audit your life and think about how much fits in that category. It's, it's maybe nothing and definitely much less than you think. Yep. I remember seeing a, um, a friend of mine show up for a meeting uh, down in L.A., actually, and uh, he was walking in with a camera around his neck. And I was like, what do you have a camera around your neck for? And he goes, well, I found the only reason I really wanted my phone with me was to take pictures. And this way, mm-hmm. I can take pictures, but I don't have to be tied to my phone. I thought, you're like an Amish man or something. This is crazy. <laughs> um, but yeah, and the, the having the, the phone away from the bed, the, the, night sti- uh, the bedside table is just... It's it's great. When I first got my first smartphone, it was a BlackBerry in like 2006. <laughs> and I remember checking the email first thing in the morning one morning, and someone sent me like a super angry email. And it was like sent at 5.40 in the morning. And my first thought was, how do you get that angry at 5.40 in the morning? I don't understand <laughs> that. My second thought was, the rest of my day has been set by the tone of your email. And you sure. set my agenda and my mood. And I'm completely at your beck and call because I've let you have that that seat of supremacy in my day. It's just not healthy. Yeah. And in terms of like taking charge of our own lives, yeah. it's, uh, I think that's really, I think the most, it's hard. It's like, I want to be frank that it's not easy to like put the phone at a distance. It's become this extension of us and it's, you know, we're addicted to it in a lot of ways. Many of us are, but it's, that is a really powerful tool. 
Yeah. Well, I appreciate the work y'all are doing. Time well spent. Uh, I encourage my, uh, my friends to go check that out. Listen to what they're up to. And Max, um, it's great getting to know you. Great. Uh, t- thanks for taking the time to talk with me. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, no, it was great to get to know you too. And uh, thanks for putting your time and attention on this issue. All right. Well, I appreciate y'all's work. Cheers. Thanks for checking out Newsworthy with Norsworthy. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. You are now adjourned.